0: Hello, and welcome to The Balance with Catelyn Tucker, presented by StudySync. I'm Catelyn Tucker. I'm a teacher, a coach, a blended learning expert with a particular interest in finding balance, which I talk about in my upcoming book, Balance with Blended Learning. I am excited to have Travis Lake with me today to discuss the innovative ways that Harrisburg School District is reimagining school for students. All right. Welcome, everyone. Today, I have Travis Lape with me. I have been really intrigued by some of the stuff that Travis has shared on Twitter about his school and the design of his school. So I invited him on to share a little bit about his experience. He's an Innovative Programs Director at Harrisburg School District and also recognized as the Thai Technology Leader of the Year in 2015. So thanks for being on, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So why don't we start and you just let us know kind of What has your journey in education been that kind of led you to this position as Innovative Programs Director?
1: Absolutely. So my journey started in a fourth grade classroom. And in that fourth grade classroom, I really thought that I was doing a good job of giving learners voice and choice and and really providing opportunity for them to explore, but also really use information to help guide them. And so I think of the work that you've done so much on the blended learning front, that was kind of my classroom. I had math Math stations and I had reading stations and and kids were working through those. Um, And I thought I had a good opportunity for kids to have that voice and choice. But then it came down to the Smarter Balance or in that time it was Dakota Step Test. Uh, It was our state testing and that, that story was different than for kids. And I really just had a hard time watching them grow and watching them succeed in my classroom to then get one score at the end of the year that really told a different story about them that I didn't believe was was fully true. And so that, that really upset me. Um, I, I didn't like that, but that that kind of sh- is where it shaped my mindset that we have to think differently about education and what school can be for our kids and how can we do that. And so during my entire master's class of working towards my master's in administration, I really spent two years diving into that work with with a team and, and really just looking at other models across the country and, and other areas that have looked at school differently and that's really where where it came for me to really think about like asking the question to parents and even stakeholders of like what makes a second grader a third grader at the end of the year and after asking that question a few times and getting kind of a blank stare of well <laughs> you, you're the educator right. um, I knew I knew we were on to something. I knew the team could really think about things differently because nobody could help us answer that question.
0: Well and I love what you're saying too because I think this res- this will resonate with a lot of teachers who are frustrated by that evaluation of a student by a single yeah. test and a single score But what's been interesting about my experience, and I'm sure you've encountered this, is when you tend to push for innovative, (laughs) outside-of-the-box approaches, people are like, but my kids are going to get tested, and I want them to do well on the test. So it's like you either look at the test, and then you change what you do to try to get a better score on that test, or you look at the test, and like you've done, you think that is not a good representation of where my kids are at. We need to think about doing this job differently
1: yeah, you, you hit it spot on. I mean, I think educators would listen and say, yeah, like, that's awesome. I want to be a part of something like that. But then you, you, you're you spot on when when you start to push against the system that is just enriched in this idea of, A, comparing kids against kids, mm-hmm. and B, that score, that's where the system really then gets a stronghold and pushes back on you. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have a strong, solid why, and a strong foundation to stand on, it, it, the system crunches you. And I would say for my personal journey, that system has started to crunch and it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to motivate myself to keep fighting because it's, it's like, gosh, if we just went back and did it the other way, nobody would ever question. Nobody would ever wonder what are we doing? Like we would just, we would go day to day. And I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and I, I'm fighting for them because I don't want them to go through that system that that I went through. And I know we can do better for kids, but we got to figure out how to amplify those voices, push back on this system of assessment. I think assessment's good, but I think it has to be used in a way of talking about a kid and their growth towards something rather than just one score and then we move on.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I I feel your frustration pushing against the status quo because I have had my own experience trying to, as a teacher in a very traditional public high school, trying to create a very outside the box kind of program. And just getting the students and the parents, let alone admin on board to lean into a different kind of experience for kids is Maybe one of the most exhausting endeavors I have ever tried to make happen in my entire yeah. professional career because it is so hard to push change in these very traditional systems.
1: Yes, and change is slow. Like so slow. I, it is. It's. It's crazy when we when we sit back and think about where we're at as a district and how far we've come. We've come in a short amount of time, but it it it, it has truly been a process to get to this point. And I always tell people, and and this was advice given to me by uh, another individual, was you know change isn't hard. Change is uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and, and so this is just uncomfortable being in this kind of this middle ground of figuring it out. How can we make school different and what can we do for kids differently that, that is going to impact them? Is just uncomfortable because of the unknown of, of everything.
0: So this is, I know a little bit about your school, but many of the people listening to this won't have heard much about Harrisburg School District. So why don't you tell me what makes your school district different? So you clearly had this why of wanting to kind of meet kids where they're at, look beyond this traditional testing and assessment system, and and really look at their individual growth. So what's different about your school? What changes have you guys made?
1: Yeah, our district is unique in a couple couple things. One is this work had started way before I got here, and it started at the high school level. We had a building principal and some staff there that said, you know, why do we have 50-minute times in our in our schedule? Like, why why can't some days be longer and some days be shorter based on if you're going to have a lab or you're not going to have a lab? Right. And, and very, very forward-thinking in the sense of like – Well, colleges do this. Um, Colleges have Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday short periods, Friday maybe a longer lab day. Like, how can we do that? What does that look like? And so the high school 10 years ago went down this road of what does time look like in high school and how could we adjust it or make it look different? And in that whole process of time, they really realized that really kind of the bigger question they were asking them is like, why does it take, why should Algebra 1 take a year to get through if a kid can get through it sooner, can't we let, allow that? Still award the high school credit and let them keep moving? Right. So, so ten years ago, that was the high school. Um, they we've been implementing, we've been in implementation there for now seven years, um, and there is a customized learning pathway as well as a traditional pathway because parents still wanted choice. Absolutely. And so, so we operate in a school with inside a school model there, but it allows us to continue to really kind of think outside the box. What does this look like? Um, at the high school we've opened up the opportunity of early college pathway, so kids that have finished their high school graduation requirements can stay on campus. We bring college professors to our campus and they continue on. Um, we also have opened up a career and technical education pathway which has really opened up the doors to Industry internships, job shadows um, for our for our opportunities of kids that maybe are on the fence of do I do. Do I need to go to a four-year or can I do a two-year? Can I go right out into the workforce? Right. And so we've really tried at the high school to embrace this idea that there are many journeys. There's many opportunities. How do we give them a well-rounded opportunity to explore those but then have those all be here? So the high school has been in this work for seven years. Middle school and elementary now have been in this work for a little over four years. Okay. Uh, the middle school work is a little different than the elementary. The middle school uses a scheduling software where our kids basically show up every day with no schedule. And oh my then goodness. they see they see what the teachers are offering for the day based on what the teachers learned yesterday that the kids need. So maybe they need to do a seminar in science, but the math instructor says, "You know what? I need I need to have small group instruction. So I'm going to do a couple sessions of those." And so then the kids come in during like what what traditionally would be an advisory time. Mm -hmm. And they see the offerings for the day and they schedule their day based on what they need as a learner. Wow. So So they have the
0: active agency of saying, I need this lab. I need this one-on-one time or this small group time with my math teacher. And they compose their schedule for the day. They compose it. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine how (laughs) empowering that is as a learner to be able to say, this is what I need from this playlist of options that are basically customized for a range of different learners. I think that is incredible.
1: Well, it, it just, I mean, it's fresh in my mind because last Friday we had a meeting, parent meeting with a parent that was concerned about their child in this environment. You know, are they making good choices, all of that. And the staff did such a good job of explaining to the parent that, Yes, right away in the beginning of the year, the, the the learner was not making good choices in their schedule. They were scheduling with their friends. They were, of they course, you know, <laughs> they, they they thought they could do a lot of learning by themselves and not in seminar or coaching. And so they weren't getting always the direct instruction. Mm-hmm. But what's beautiful on our scheduler is that it creates a pie graph of what the learners have scheduled. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the teachers were able to look at the learner's schedule and say, you know what, look at this. of your time is spent in personal flex. Do you think you should be doing all of this by yourself or should you be part of our conversation with some more direct instruction? They said as soon as he realized that, oh, you know what, you're right. I probably need to be in more teacher-led discussions and then go do the personal flex when I'm ready to apply my learning, now he has just taken off. He started to blossom. He's advocating for himself. And it's just a process that we really have to work through because traditional schooling, we've always told the kids when the test is, what's on the test, when to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. And now we're saying, hey, you know what? For your day, you get to schedule your core classes based on what you need.
0: I think that sounds so engaging. I mean, just as a learner, part of what is so alienating for kids is just how little control they have over their days. And it translates into a lot of apathy, lack of motivation. And I work with a lot of teachers in a training capacity or a coaching capacity where the teacher's biggest hurdle that they're facing beyond time, which I think is all of our hurdle, really, um, is this lack of enthusiasm, the kids who don't really seem like they want to be there. And I have to remind them, like, hey, these kids spend six, seven hours a day (laughs) in an environment where they rarely get to decide what they learn, how they go about learning, You know, what products they produce to show that they've learned something. Like, that's a really defeating. Experience for a child. Um, And so the idea that they could have such agency over their schedule is exciting. And the fact that there are these analytics or the data that shows exactly where am I investing my time and is that yielding a really powerful outcome? Or maybe not. Maybe I need to reallocate kind of the places where I spend more time and energy in my day. And at the middle school level uh, in particular, I could see that being really powerful because. By the time you get to high school, you want them to feel like powerful drivers of their own learning. And I, your comment about parents, so having kind of a traditional offering versus a more yeah. outside of the box offering. I heard yep. this interview um, Peter Senge had about education and why it's so hard to really establish and maintain kind of these innovative approaches to education. And one of the One of the big barriers to kind of breaking outside the status quo that Senge highlights is just parents. You know, the idea that parents really expect their students to learn the exact same way that they learned. So, you know, getting them on board and to trust that there is a real rationale behind trying a different approach can be so challenging. So how has Harrisburg School District tried to communicate with parents, get them on board and create that line of communication so hopefully they buy into this innovative approach.
1: We're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, that's a great question. It, it, it is hard because I think there's there's two lines of it. Like when you when you st- when when I stand up in front of parents and share where we're at, what we're doing, um, what options they have, it's that fine line of making sure that what how you and I were educated did not like it is different. But we were being educated for a different world. And so it's not that we were educated poorly or bad. It was just that the world was demanding something different at that time. Mm -hmm. Now we know more. There's more information out there than ever before. It's at our fingertips. We know that we can engage kids differently and really move the needle in some areas if we, if we can push back on the system that you and I grew up in, and that's hard for parents because I think some parents view it as, well, school worked for me. I, I got a 4.0. I went to college. I got a 4.0. I've got a good job. Why wouldn't I want that for my child? And now you're telling me school needs to be different? I don't have anything to relate to that, and so I think it's I think it's really trying to drive real world connections to this. Um, you know, like I, I think of athlete athletics, and we can compare athletics to school all the time. In the sense that, you know, there's not a basketball coach out there that's going to um, treat all of his players the same. Some kids are going to be really fluent and make layups left and right, and some kids are going to have to figure out which foot is the right and which foot's the left. And so like we have I think what we have to be is strategic in how we deliver the messaging and really help parent, like walk alongside with parents.
0: And I love that sports analogy. I'm constantly telling teachers that I work with that I see that coaching element of our jobs as really one of like the two primary positions that we have. One, we're kind of like these architect of learning experiences, creating outlines and guidelines and options and things for kids. But I think we don't spend enough time considering how valuable our job is as a coach, individually supporting skill development. Because like you said, every athlete has different things they're working on, different strengths, different weaknesses, different rates of, you know, um, kind of progress. And the same can be said of students. But the way so many schools and classrooms are set up is really to treat everybody as though they're in the exact same place, even though teachers know that kids are in different places, but they're, they feel so often their hands are tied. You know, I have 45 minutes with these kids and then they're gone. Like I don't have time to sit next to them and be their coach and figure out exactly where they are and what adjustments I can make in my instruction and my scaffolds and their practice and their engagement to make sure they're making individual progress, which makes teachers feel like they're not as effective as they would really like to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I know you're passionate about creating kind of these learning environments that leverage like the best instructional strategies, the ones that have been really proven to kind of move the needle in terms of learning. So can you describe, you know, I'm sure you go in and out of classrooms because I've seen the Twitter photos of like the kids at work. How would you describe kind of like your ideal classroom? When you walk in, you're like, Mm -hmm. wow, I love what I'm seeing in there. Like what kind of a scene is that if you could describe it?
1: Yeah, for, for, for me it's it's a blank canvas. Um, I think I th- I want every day being able to go in and create an environment that really is going to meet the needs of the learners. And so you've gotta you've gotta be able to have a blank canvas every day and have some focus in that canvas. And so like in our elementary environments where we've done away with the grade levels and really focus on learners where they're at, the key is that the environments all look very similar in structure, but then what happens inside there is different. And so what I mean by kind of the similar structures is that we have learning zones in every studio that operate the same way. So when learners are moving studios, they're not confused about, oh, this this teacher has different expectations for these. And this teacher has – because then you spend most of your time worrying about management than instruction. And so I think it's it's having that open canvas of a room and then designing it around – what the learners really do need with them being a part of the conversation. And so some of our best designs and some of our best looks have come because the learners have advocated and said, you know, we just need a place where we can set up our own stuff and and work and have some quiet and, and have that space. The other thing I tell our staff when they are inside our personalized learning environment at the elementary level is that say goodbye to your teacher desk. Like that's the first Thank thing. Thank you. Oh that, my goodness, that, Travis. That we get rid of. Travis, like, I can't tell
0: you how on board I am with that. I, I coach so many teachers who are like, I don't think I have the room to have kids rotate. I don't think we have the room to do yeah, this or that. And I'm like, do. I'm like, okay, I got to get into this classroom because this is clearly mm-hmm. like an issue. And I nine times out of 10, the reason they don't have the room is because there's so much teacher stuff on the periphery. Or there's like three teacher setups in the classroom where I'm kind of like, all right, I feel like if we just got rid of the teacher desk, which I did like four (laughs) years ago, then we would open up all the space, get rid of the file cabinets, just get rid of all that clutter that just kind of encroaches on that space that you have with kids.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's really why we've kind of shifted into that studio mentality because when we think about a, a, a studio, if it's an art studio or a music studio, and you are an artist and you're going in to use it, all the tools are there for you to be successful, right? But you have to apply yourself, mm-hmm. and so the same mindset is what we instill in our, our learners is that the teachers in there. The tools are in there for you to be successful. You have to apply yourself when you're in this math studio. And here's what that looks like. And so by changing our our classrooms to studios, it really has helped us in the mindset shift for our learners that they're they're really the driving force behind it. When they go into this learning studio, it is super important that they're driving it. And there are things that we do at the beginning of the year to really help build that capacity with them. Mm -hmm. But by about Thanksgiving time, the learners are truly driving it. I mean, they know when they go into the learning studio, if they're working on iLearn, they know what they need to do, where they need to go, and then what what's next for them. And so by changing our environments, it has really opened the door to allow that empowerment of kids because they own the space, not the teacher.
0: I love that. And you know, as soon as you said studio, I was like, is Travis talking about the classrooms because I love that. Studio, for me, in my mind, as soon as you said it, equates creation or creating. Yeah. And really, that's yeah. what classroom spaces should be. They should be spaces where kids, the focus is on kids creating and making meaning yeah. and doing all those things together. And sometimes I I worry about when the teacher has the environment set up the way that works for them, does that really work best for kids? And does does a single environment work for every kind of learning endeavor that kids are going to engage in. Absolutely not. I remember when my teaching team was developing the program that I, I talked about at the beginning of the podcast called New School. Our goal was to have three classrooms, but just kind of like what you're describing, we had this interconnected um, curriculum, and we created three rooms where the teachers could change rooms anytime. So we didn't have our stuff all set up. We didn't have a teacher desk. And one room was really uh, like a makerspace lab room. And one room was collaboration cafe, where the whole point was for kids to be talking and working through stuff together and creating And then one was kind of like a quiet corner where you need to read, you need to do practice that really requires some like quiet space, you can go there. And so as teachers, we would shift between the spaces depending on what we really needed or allow kids some free flow movement between the spaces based on the tasks that they were working on and what kind of environment would be most conducive to that. So I would love to see more schools move to an approach where, like you said, the classroom belongs to the students and the whole goal of that space is to encourage
1: creation. Yes, 100%. Laura Fleming and I are, are pretty good friends, and we met through Twitter and that, but that's, I mean, that's where my mindset of this idea of creation and, and getting learners to apply their learning rather than just giving them an assessment. Like, let's get, let's see what they really
0: yes. can
1: do with the learning that they just, they just received. Like, what, what is it they can do with this? And that really comes around this idea of, of creation and building up from the bottom.
0: That's so neat. And so I'm curious how have teachers responded to teaching in these more unconventional environments and embracing a studio as opposed to their classroom?
1: You know, I think from that, envir- from that structure point of changing up their classroom to studios, really looking at more of a teaming aspect at the elementary, that mm-hmm. has been probably the biggest shift for them. Classroom stuff, uh, they've they, they pretty much embraced that with us and have come along. The biggest shift for us was this idea that no longer are you just a third grade teacher. And so we have math between the four learning studios. We have math at the same time. We have seven to 11-year-olds. And then what happens is is each teacher really takes a strand that they're passionate about. So we have a teacher who loves teaching fractions and teaches fractions from how it starts in second grade to how it builds in fifth grade. And then all the learners, when they're ready for fractions, goes into that learning studio. They take a pre-assessment, and then they drop into what we call their learning journey, And that might be a second grader who's performing more at a third grade level in fractions. And so they'll drop into more higher level standards. Again, now we don't call them second, third, and fourth graders anymore. We call them littles, middles, molders, and olders. (laughs) (laughs) The whole whole idea is that we want to refer to their age and not their grade. Because they could be working at a higher grade level. And sometimes people come and when they visit us, they're like, oh, like... Like, do, do the learners ever get like in a competition of, oh, I'm doing third grade work and I'm really a second grader? And I'm like, no, because we don't we don't refer to them as that, and we never refer to the standards as, oh, you're doing only second grade standards or you're only doing third grade. We've really built a learning continuum and said learners can progress and move through the continuum really at at the best that they can. And so that has helped us kind of erase that idea. Now, because of the system that we live in, people still ask them out in public, hey, what grade are you in? And totally. they'll say second, you know, they'll say second grade. But we try to erase this idea of competition in schools and try to take that out and really focus on the learning for them personally, rather than, oh, how are you doing against all second graders?
0: Right. And I, you know, there's definitely going to be younger kids who are making advanced progress, which there's some pride and you know probably excitement about that. But when I have made comments in the past about how I think it's very nonsensical that we just like lump kids in these age-specific mm-hmm. groups and just kind of like usher them through um, yeah. curriculum when they're potentially way beyond where the class is or way behind, teachers are very quick to say, "Hey, but if a kid's really far behind, what are you going to do? Have a seventh grader in a or a." Fifth Fifth grader mm-hmm. in a second grade classroom. And, and so I like that you're kind of reimagining how you label or I don't know, maybe label yeah. is the wrong word, but how you like reference them so that you're removing that the the focus on grade and more trying to shift it to a uh, focus on individual progress. Cause I I know it yeah. could be hard for a fifth grader to be technically focused on a second grade task, but wouldn't it be better for them to master that so they can build on it and make progress as they move forward in school as opposed to having these huge gaps that make any advancement as they move on to middle or high school nearly impossible? You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably like the thing that our I would say our teachers have embraced the most is The the teaming aspect and being a part of a PLC and all of that is is challenging because prior to this, we hadn't had like true PLCs in our district. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of, you know, now we have 94 learners that we're all in charge of. All four of us are in charge of 94. I don't just have my class. I can't shut my door and do my stuff. Right. I, I have to trust my team that when my learners from my home studio are going to fractions, that they're getting exactly what they need in fractions so that when they come back to me in multiplication, division, or geometry, we can build upon those things. So the trust, the, the team building, and then the, truly the mindset that all of these kids are ours. And Instead of just these 20 or 25 kids are ours.
0: Yeah. Well, and just the idea that that really sends that this school is a learning community and we're all in it together and we're all invested in the forward progress of these learners, which I wish I saw more of that because there is a lot of kind of shutting the door and I'm going to do it my way and it's worked so far. So I'm just going to keep doing it or it's worked so far for the majority of kids. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Whereas as a person who has taught solo and then also taught as part of a team, I recognize how being challenged by team members and have engaging in those conversations about our practice and about our students and about what the work they're creating tells us about their learning, it really is such an opportunity for growth when teachers are working closely together. And I can imagine they probably are able to really identify needs so much more quickly when you have multiple teachers kind of talking about students and where they're at and what they're seeing.
1: Yeah, and that's probably... The biggest, one of the other big ahas for us is that Our 94, 95 learners between the four teachers stay with them their entire elementary career. So they loop every year. So if they start as what traditionally would be a second grader, they will be with those four all four years of their elementary career, which is what we really believe is going to hopefully push the needle of understanding where kids are at, what they need, how to build that trust and relationship. Because, I mean, we see it all the time. The data is out there, the research is out there, that the number one of the number one effects on academic success is the relationships. Right. But then why do we change teachers every single year and have that whole relationship process start over again, which then takes six to seven weeks to get even accustomed to what what is the dynamics of my class? What who really needs support? What does, you know academically where are they at? Behaviorally where are they at? What can we do to help each other? Where here, once we build that trust rapport with them. They're with us now for the long haul, which hopefully will now end up in our data scheme will help to, to move the academic needle even further.
0: No, I love that. I I have been fortunate. the The high school where I worked for sixteen years, like we had kids for. I didn't have them for four years, but they combined ninth and tenth grade. They combined eleventh oh, and twelfth yeah. grade, and so I got my students for two years. And I had worked at a school before that where you know just traditional schedule. You got a kid kids for a year, and then they're on to somebody else. And just the difference in working with a student for two years, and like you said, the relationships that blossom out of that, um, the family connections. It's the trust that develops. Them knowing who you are and what you expect and the routines, all of that is invaluable. Though it sounds like what you guys are doing with the studios and having inside the studios really consistent zones so that even when kids transition between teachers, they're used to the zones, the expectations are consistent, and that probably makes that relationship building that, like you said, the management piece a lot more smooth than many teachers who get a new crop of students and they spend like the first two months of school onboarding them and trying to establish all that stuff, which is exhausting. Yeah. So, okay, this is clearly... This is really exciting. And I work with a lot of different schools. Many are very traditional, like public schools. And I'm wondering kind of given the design of most public schools, can you imagine kind of what you're doing in Harrisburg School District? Working, being able to be scaled in traditional settings, and if so, kind of from your perspective and your position, what advice do you have for school leaders who might be in a traditional setting but really want to try something new? Like, where do they start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, i've I've worked with some different districts on different things, and and most of the success really happens in smaller districts, unfortunately, right? Because the pressure isn't as big. Um, I think our district's unique because, I mean, we've got six elementaries, two middle schools, and a high school. We grow by about 300 kids roughly every year, brand new to the district. And about every two years, we're building a new school. And so we have the ability in our district to really think about the design layouts of schools and what what really leverages this type of learning environment and Can we build different schools? And then there's schools that I've worked with that are in 80 year old buildings, and they're like, (laughs) we come to your school and we see this, and it makes sense. But how do you envision it at in our school? And and a lot of times I tell people like, don't let the the structures or the the big walls hold you back from starting to make little changes. And so there there are things that you can start to do to really start to move kind of towards that. And I think some of it is the work that you've done in, in the, around the blended approach, like to really get to personalize where learners can move and, and jump in like, I think you first have to understand what are stations, what are rotations, how right. can you leverage those type of instructional practices?
0: Can you create a playlist? What does that yeah. look like? What yeah. Does that?
1: yeah, because I think that's the starting point. And a single teacher in a classroom can do that. And then you move it to the question of like, okay, what if what if you and I shared learners, we pre-assessed them and then we drop them to where they're ready to go, and then they start our playlist, and then they start working. You know, yeah. then I think you can take it to the next level. But I, I work with so many schools that want to get to where we're at right now, like next year, and it's like, but you don't even have teachers doing small group coaching sessions, and right. you don't have you don't have stations. Like you still have a teacher in the front of the room for majority of the day teaching. That's a mindset. So I think. I think you really have to start with where your staff is at. And if they're more, you know, more at that level of they're teaching a lot, they're the ones in front of the classroom a lot, then I think the first approach is is really a blended learning approach. And then from there, I think then you can start to leverage, okay, could we group two classrooms together and have a two, three and a four, five and have them switch learners based on what they need. Could we build out a learning continuum? And so I think, I mean, it's definitely doable. Smaller schools definitely are just a lot easier because sometimes you don't have so many moving parts to a smaller school. They're a
0: little more nimble.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you've you've worked with more than I have. And so you've you've seen that. Um, But I think that's where you have to start is, one, you have to start with where's your staff at instructionally?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Because this model does not work if you do not have sound instructional practices in place. because what what I've seen when it, when that happens is if you go to this model where you're moving learners, you're adjusting learners, teachers get very territorial because of the state assessment still.
0: Yeah, again, and brings so, us back to the beginning of this conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: like the pressure still comes back at in March and April when they take that state assessment. And if my kids spent majority of their time in your room, Ugh. Yeah, I don't, you know, so I think it really comes back down to one, you've got to make sure you're instructionally sound, your teachers are doing some high level instructional practices that we know by research will get the effect size on learning. Then from there, then you can start to look at the structures that you have in place, like the weight, what I call weight bearing walls, what are the <laughs> things that we have to kind of take down now, to a leverage even more of that instructional practice sound then once we start taking down those weight bearing walls then you can really start to think outside the box of is it mixing groups is it mixing age groups can we do pre assessments of a larger span of learners and then i think that moves into to more of of what what you would see when you, if you visited us is that we've we've done some of that but i mean I know schools that aren't even standard-based grading yet, you know, and oh, that's, yeah, I know. that's a, you know, that's another step in the whole puzzle. And so, most of the time when visit when schools visit, I'm like, you're you're planning for four to five years out. If you don't have some of those things in place of instructions, standard-based, those are all going to be things that you're going to have to work on to get to here. But it is possible, and if you start now, it might even happen sooner because teachers might really. like what they're doing and go, let's, let's accelerate this. I'll put in the time. I'll put in the work. You know, I've never met a teacher that's scared of putting in time or work.
0: Heck no. Otherwise you (laughs) wouldn't have chosen this crazy (laughs) profession.
1: (laughs) You know, I've, I've not, you know, but I have met teachers that are a little scared of something new because they haven't been told kind of that why, or they haven't gotten the opportunity to actually see it in action. They've only read it in a book and they're like, well, that's great but did it actually ever get implemented can you see it how does it look and so I think that's the other thing is is you know sometimes getting staff to buy in is is showing them that this there is potential out there
0: Well, and I think I agree, like strong instructional strategies if your teachers aren't blending online and offline work, the the standards-based approach to grading, which really allows you to drill down into assessing individual skills for individual learners and making adjustments as needed. But I also think it's really important to have strong leadership. Somebody oh, at the yes. top who is articulating the why. Why is this worth investing our time and energy and taking a risk for? Someone who's going to tell teachers, I know this is a journey. I know this transition isn't going to be smooth from point A to point B. So don't worry about test scores right now. Let's, right now, let's worry about making this transition. And sometimes I, I, even though I want to encourage teachers to make substantive changes in their practice, I also, as a teacher who's worked on campuses where there hasn't been that vision, that leadership, the follow through piece, where it's so critical that you have someone at the top who is really. Bought into this change, who's, who's willing to take a good hard look at some of those invisible walls like the mm-hmm. bell schedule, uh, you know, yeah. this idea that, you know, could we combine classes? Could we have teams of teachers working together? What would an integrated approach to curriculum look like? all of those pieces are so crucial to making really big change and i and i know leaders who want to rethink kind of the status quo but then it's like the devils are the devils in the details <laughs> you start thinking yes. about the master schedule and unless you're willing to kind of just explode what's there and and reimagine it it can be so hard to create the kinds of changes that we're talking about but Clearly, the traditional approach to educating kids is not working for a lot of our students. Yeah. What do you do to kind of relax, recharge, stay grounded, attempt to find (laughs) or achieve some kind of balance in your own life, Travis?
1: Oh, that's a million dollar question. Right? Oh, you don't uh, have it
0: figured out yet? I was uh, hoping you could just like lay some truth on us.
1: Oh my gosh, if my wife ever <laughs> listens to this, oh she she'll be like, he lied the whole time. <laughs> 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 uh, I I am I I truly I am not there. Um I, I think you're I think you're spot on with the with the theme of the podcast and the idea around balance. Um, I, I will say I have gotten better. Uh because I've really had to think through, and, and even I, I I think the the humbling thing for me was I had to, I had to go get help. I had to get somebody else to talk into me mm-hmm. of like what is important. You know, I I get stressed out. Like at home, I'll be I'll be on my phone constantly, and my wife will be like Travis, like what's so important right now that you need to be on your phone? I'm like, well, a teacher just emailed me and asked me for this. And if she's working on it right now, I should be too. And my wife just kind of rolls her eyes. And, and so like the one, the, the best thing I've now tried to work into is like, I've just have a notebook of things. And before I leave the day, at the end of the day, I write down everything that I need to get out of my brain that maybe needs to happen tomorrow. Right. And I, I just write it down and I close the book and I go home. And the next morning I've, I've been able to pick up and not feel stress or the anxiety of like, I'm letting somebody down. Yeah. Uh, Because I think, I mean, a lot of educators, we're people pleasers for the most part. I mean, we we want our students to be happy. We want our parents to be happy. We want our admin to be happy. And so I think for me, that was just a way for me to write things down. But again, by no means do I have that perfect because I still... I'm I'm my best work happens between 10 o'clock at night and 1 a.m. and and the staff yeah. know when I'm like out of out of sorts because I'll I'll just start sending off emails at 11 o'clock at night and and sometimes the staff the best thing they do for me is send back and they're like you need to go to bed shut it off. (laughs) It will be here tomorrow. No,
0: Travis, what you need to do is you need to embrace the schedule option on your Gmail, which, because I am also a bit of a night owl and I will like compose endless emails between your like peak hours are also kind of my peak hours. I would say a little earlier, like nine to 11 for me. And so I will write like half a dozen emails and schedule them. These are all going out 8 a.m. tomorrow morning or whenever tomorrow morning so that like I can, like you said, get it out of my brain get it in into the universe. So I know it's going to go out, but I'm not that person sending emails at like yes. 1045 at night.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I, I use it periodically. And then I forget, then I'm like, oh, I just hit send I right. should have, <laughs> get, you know, so but yes, I mean, that that's a great, a great tool to, to use, especially if you are one of those individuals that like to work at night. But I think that's I don't know, I think education is so unique that way. I, I think of my teacher prep, and like, we never talked about balance in teacher prep. No, no, you know, like we,
0: the message we have, was you have to do it all in my teacher yeah, prep. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think that's, I think that's where we're, where we're maybe missing a little bit of that training is like, how, do, how do we help people stay balanced? And I mean, it's easier for me to coach teachers in that than to coach myself.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I very much um, am starting this podcast out of a selfish place of hoping that I will just engage with amazing people who have wonderful tips. Although I do relate to your tip because I am a lover of lists and I also make a list every single day of things I need to do the next day so I can just mentally turn it off a little bit. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of silencing my phone at home when I'm with my kids and making dinner just because it's so easy to get sucked in because somebody's asking you a question on Twitter. Or like you mm-hmm. said, a teacher I'm coaching is texting me or a student from three years ago is asking me to edit a college essay because he wants to transfer from the JC. This literally just happened at 1015 last night, <laughs> you know? So it's like it's right, yeah. endless, um, absolutely endless. So Hopefully I will uh, uncover some tips I can share with teachers. And I wanna thank you so much for spending um, this time talking with me and sharing a little bit about your school, Travis, it was a real pleasure. There are so many moments in this podcast that resonated with me, but I wanna highlight two of them. First is the idea of calling the spaces where students learn studios instead of classrooms. The idea of a studio or the, the word studio conjures up, for me, images of students working together, using their hands, creating things, and making meaning for themselves in dynamic ways, as opposed to the word classroom, which makes me think of a room with a class in it. The terms we use to describe things in education can be really powerful. They can signal change, and we need to be intentional about the language that we use. I also cannot agree with Travis's statement more about the value of ditching the big bulky teacher desk. I found it absolutely liberating to get rid of mine. Instead of that big desk with just mountains of paperwork and that visual reminder of all the things you have to do after class, as soon as I transitioned to a small desk with wheels, I was able to move really nimbly around the room. I could literally roll up to a student and work side by side with them. I was so much more more flexible and able to concentrate on the kids in front of me when I wasn't distracted or kind of anchored to a big teacher desk. Travis shared several examples of student agency, and I was particularly struck by this idea of students creating their schedule at the start of a school day based on their specific needs in that moment. And I realized that level of agency requires an institutional commitment to rethinking the design of school. So what I wanna challenge the teachers listening to do is to consider how can you, as an individual teacher, give students more agency in your class? What decisions can you allow them to make about what they learn, how they learn, what they create to demonstrate they've learned? Because I know from my experience, the more I let go, let students lead, give them agency, the more balance I was able to find in my own professional career. Finally, I want to end this podcast with two teacher tips that were shared with me this week via Twitter. The first one comes from Ms. Z, who agrees with Travis about the value of a to-do list. She recommends you write it in a notebook and then you take it out during your prep period to make sure you stay focused and productive. And then Mrs. Estrada recommends meditation, exercise, totally agree with her there. And then remembering your why. What was your purpose when you started in education? What brought you into this career? Remembering your why in the really tough days or on those really tough days can be incredibly powerful. So thank you, Ms. Z and Mrs. Estrada for sharing your tips with me. And if anybody out there has a tip they'd love to share about how they're creating balance in their own lives, you can find me at Catlin underscore Tucker on Twitter and share your tips with me there so I can highlight them and a future episode of The Balance. Thank you to StudySync for producing and sponsoring this podcast. StudySync is committed to helping teachers find balance in their lives by providing them with a robust multimedia ELA platform that simplifies lesson planning, automatically differentiates tasks for learners at different skill levels and language proficiencies, and blends online and offline engagement to help students develop as thinkers, readers, writers, and speakers. StudySync's most recently released product, Sync Blasts, expands the company's scope to include an emerging supplemental digital inquiry solution for social studies and science classrooms. Visit StudySync.com for more information or visit the link in our show notes. By the way, the views expressed in this podcast are my own. Thanks again for listening in.